we are going to be back in Revelation this week. Um, we took a pause on that last week to celebrate Easter, which anyone here at Easter service at the Paramount last week? Yeah. It was a ton of fun. Loved being able to celebrate Easter with you guys. Uh, and so last week we looked at joy. Uh, Jake walked us through how the resurrection means joy for us. Uh, and this week we looked to get to look at judgment and eternal damnation. So uh, Jake gets joy, I get judgment. I'm not, you can tell he's the one who made the teaching schedule. So that's just where we're going to be. Uh, yeah, so bear with us as we walk through this together. It's going to be a lot and a little amount of text, okay? Uh, I'm going to be really upfront with a disclaimer. Uh, this is a really sobering passage of scripture. It's really heavy. Uh, it doesn't lend itself to a ton of jokes. We'll try and get a little lighthearted every once in a while, but I want you guys to settle into the fact that this is a heavy topic. Uh, it's a heavy reality, and it's a heavy passage that we're going to walk through, okay? Because no one really likes to talk about judgment. No one loves uh, to talk about judgment with their friends and family, uh, with their coworkers. It's just something that we don't like to talk about. It's even ingrained into us at an early age all throughout culture. It's like, oh, just don't judge them. Or it's like, oh, well, I don't want to be one to judge. Or my personal favorite is only God can judge me. Anyone ever use that one? You don't have to raise your hand and admit to that. That's fine. Um, but I hate that phrase, only God can judge me. It, I feel like it's an excuse for people to do stupid things or an, to something to excuse the dumb things they've already done. It's like the spring break, like slogan everywhere. Um, but here's the one thing, as bad of a phrase as it is, it gets something very true, that God will judge you. All right? And that's what we see in this passage. As whack of a phrase as that is, God is going to judge. He is going to judge you. He's going to judge me, and he's going to judge all creation according to sin. That's the reality that we are going to look at this morning in this text. And uh, we actually see this uh, promised in Hebrews. If you jump back a couple books to Hebrews chapter 9, we were in Hebrews last year. Um, in verse 27, it says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Judgment's real. Judgment is going to happen. You are going to face judgment. And so the question isn't, how do I avoid judgment? Because I think a lot of us, we would like to ask that question, man, how can I avoid God's judgment? It's like, well, you don't, you don't get to. Uh, so the question isn't not, how do I avoid judgment, but how do I get through judgment? If I can't avoid it, how do I get through it on the right side? Like, how do I get judged and get judged and end up on the right side of that judgment. That's really the question that we're going to be uh, looking at today is if we can't avoid judgment, how are we supposed to get through it? And so let's jump on in. Revelation chapter 20, we're only going to be in verses 11 through 15. This is one of the shortest text breaks that we've had throughout this series, uh, but we're going to need uh, to spend a lot of close time on these few verses. And so uh, Revelation 20, starting in verse 11. It says, then I saw a great white throne and him who is seated on it. I want to pause there because in, uh, John is introducing us to a new scene, okay? He's introducing us to something new that is happening going on. Because if you remember from a couple weeks ago in Revelation 19 and 20, we get this awesome picture of Jesus coming back, right? Coming back on a horse with a sword coming out of his mouth. He's going to uh, wipe the floor with Satan. He throws uh, the prophet and the beast into 
uh, the lake of fire. He binds up Satan. Satan comes, uh, gets unbound to deceive the nations. Then there's what is re, uh, known as the final battle, but it's not really a battle. Jesus just wipes the floor with everyone again, and uh, Satan is thrown into the lake of fire. And so that's how the passage that we just looked at a couple weeks ago ends. And so this one begins, Then I saw a great white throne in him who is seated on it. This is very similar language to the first time we see God's throne mentioned in Revelation chapter 4, right? Uh, this is the very, uh, in Revelation 4, it's the first time we see the throne room of heaven. There's a ton of worship happening. This time, though, when we see the throne room of heaven, we see this great white throne and one seated on it. And we get this idea that, oh, judgment's coming. And the throne is great. Like we assume that it's a big throne, but bigger than just like the size of the throne is the greatness of it. Like there is a glory to this throne. There is weight to it. That the one who sits upon it is ruler and reigns over all things. Like that's how much authority he has. So he has all authority and it's white and to show its pureness. How holy and blameless the one who sits upon it is. And so that's the scene that John enters us into right now. The throne room of God. But instead of this time with all the worship going on, we see that judgment is about to happen. That judgment is about to come from the one who is on the throne, which uh, let's just be clear, that's God. Some people like to think they're on the throne of their life. Some people like to think they're the ones who get to judge others. No, God is the one on the throne. God is the one who's going to judge. And so that's the, that's the scene that we enter into with John here. It says, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. I won't pause here for a moment because was, I was studying for this and getting ready. Uh, this was the first time that I noticed this in Revelation. That as God is sitting on the throne ready to judge, the first thing that gets judged is the sky and the earth and creation itself. Like, it's not just us who are getting judged. It's all of creation that's getting judged according to sin. And I just thought it was really cool because I've never noticed that before. I always just thought judgment was reserved for us. But it, it makes sense when you think that God isn't just judging people. He's judging people according to sin. He's judging sin itself. And so we see that judgment is coming and that even creation can't stand before a holy and blameless perfect God. That creation flees away. There's no place left for this sinful, broken, fallen world. And uh, the crazy thing about this to me is that creation doesn't fear this judgment. They eagerly await it. Like if you go back into Romans, I want to flip to Romans 8 real quick. We see that creation isn't scared of this judgment. Creation is longing for it. Look at Romans 8, starting in verse 19. It says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know now that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. We get this idea that creation is longing for this day. Creation is waiting for the day that sin is dealt with and that creation can be free from sin. And 
uh, back in the garden, we see that sin didn't just enter because of man, and it didn't just enter man, it entered the world as well. And so now creation flees away from the presence of God on his throne, who is judging sin. It flees away, and it's fleeing away to make room for what? A new creation, right? Like it, we, if you skip forward to chapter 21, we'll get to that next week. We see that a new heaven and a new earth are going to come. That there's going to be a new creation where we get to be with God again. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be free from the stain of sin. And guys, man, I cannot wait for that day. And I'm excited to be able to look at this text with you guys in uh, the next couple of weeks as well. Uh, but this is too happy for Revelation 20. So we're going to go backward. Um, but we see that creation itself can't even avoid judgment. Creation can't avoid it. Creation can't avoid the judgment for the sin that is held within us. And so I, I want you guys to get this. All sin is going to be judged. Every ounce of sin is going to be judged in you and in creation. And so we see creation can't avoid it. And next we see that neither can we. Let's keep reading, uh, finish out this section, 12 through 15. It says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. I want you guys to remember that phrase. We'll come back to that in a bit. The lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Pretty heavy passage, right? And I want to put some pieces together before we look at the thing as a whole, uh, just so that you guys are aware of what's happening, so that we can all be on the same page, okay? So we have this great white throne, this judgment seat. God is sitting on the throne ready to judge. Earth has already fled. Sky has already fled. And now we see the dead standing before God. So we see all that who had died, they're now in these spiritual bodies because they're standing right. Dead bodies don't stand. And so they're standing before God. And then books are opened. They're standing before God, ready to be judged. And they're going to be judged by what's in these books. And we have two sets of books. We have uh, the books that are opened is referring to uh, the record of uh, God's record of what creation has done. So think of it like this, that it's books that contain all, everything that you guys have done, everything that I have done. Every single thing is written in this book. And so that's the first set of books. Literal books are not. It is a record of like God's record of what has been done by humanity. And then we have another book, the book of life. And so that's the scene that is taking place. Judgment is about to happen. God is on his throne. People are before him. We have books and we have the book of life. And what is written in those books determines what happens to every single one of us. And so how is this judgment going to happen? Like, do we all like end up before the judgment seat of God? Do we all end up before this great, great white throne, like airport security? I and mean, like, we're all just in line waiting. And finally we get to TSA, which sometimes feels like judgment. And like, I don't know if that's going to happen. 
Um, I don't think that's probably how it's going to actually play out. I think God is a little more impressive than making people wait in a line for eternity. But I don't know exactly how it's going to happen. What I do know, though, is that every single one of us is going to stand before God. That we are all going to be judged. And there's some different, different views on how this happens, what it's going to look like necessarily. Um, one of those views is uh, that some people think, and this is probably a most common thought, that this uh, great white throne judgment is only for unbelievers. That it's only for those who are not saved, who have not been, uh, been put into the book of life. And so that's one uh, view of thought. They read that the dead that we read about in this passage, like you read about the dead all over the place in verses 11 through 15, they read that as the spiritually dead. And so they say, oh, this is only for unbelievers. Might be true. That's not necessarily how I read it. There's another uh, way that people read it when they think that there's kind of two judgments happening simultaneously. That verse 12, when it's referring to the dead, is actually referring to those who have died in Christ. And they're going to be rewarded for the things that they have done on earth. Um, I do think that happens at some point. I do think all Christians are rewarded uh, for what they have done and for the kingdom on earth. I don't think that's happening here, though. And then they would read that verses 13 through 15 are the judgment of those who don't know Jesus, who are thrown into the lake of fire. And so, like I said, I, don't, I also don't think that one is necessarily what's going on here. It could be, but I don't think that's quite it. Uh, the one that I think is most compelling is that every single person who has ever lived is going to stand before the judgment of God. And that we are going to be judged according to what is written in the books. Whether it's the books that have account of all the things that we've done or the book of life. And so the way I read it is I don't see rewards happening in this passage. I don't see it as just for unbelievers. I see this as a judgment that all of us are going to face someday. That we're all going to stand before God. But regardless of what you think, there's one thing that we can be sure of. Sin is going to be judged. Like it doesn't matter which view you hold there or if you have a different one, read it, uh, do your own homework, come to your own thoughts on that. But it doesn't matter what you think about it here. The thing that we can be sure of is that sin is going to be judged. Sin is going to be judged completely and finally here at the throne of God. And guys, there is a lot at stake in this judgment. There is a lot at stake. Like, I want you guys to look back at verses 14 and 15. It says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Guys, these are a couple of the heaviest verses that we've read in Revelation so far. That judgment is real and hell is real. There is a literal hell that those who are not found in the book of life will be thrown into. That they will spend eternity there and it's known as the second death. Now, is it literal fire? Is it a literal lake of fire? I'm not sure. It could be. Uh, but here's what I do know is that... Uh, We've seen other people and beings get thrown into this lake of fire, right? Satan gets thrown into the lake of fire. 
Satan isn't a physical being, he's a spiritual being. And so we know that even if it is a literal lake of fire, it's got to be much more than literal fire to torment a spiritual being. We see death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. And death and Hades aren't beings, they're spiritual forces, but somehow they are also tormented in eternity in the lake of fire. And then we also see maybe the one that like, we feel like impacts us the most, that people are thrown into the lake of fire. And this isn't just like physical bodies, because like I said, I think that we die in our physical body and then we all get a spiritual body that lives for eternity. But if your name's not found in the book of life, your spiritual body gets thrown into the lake of fire to suffer for eternity. Guys, this is heavy stuff. Like, this is stuff that should start making us think, like, man, am I written in the book of life? I sure hope so. Because when we read about this, like, it's described as the second death. Like, that's not fun language. And when it's talking about death here, it's not talking about, like, a ceasing to exist. Like, here on earth, when we die, our bodies cease to exist. This second death, it's much more than a physical death. It is an eternity away and separated from God's goodness, grace, and kindness. Which is much worse than anything your physical body could go through. Like you think you feel pain on this earth, and you do feel pain on this earth. But even the pain and suffering you feel and deal with here has glimpses and touches and tastes of God's glory and grace. It has touches of God's grace and favor for his creation. Like, I don't know everything that you guys have experienced and gone through. But I know in my own life, I, I have those moments and those seasons and those situations where I've been going through extreme pain. Whether it's the loss of a loved one. Whether it's not knowing if some of my family knows Jesus when they died whether it's physical pain, whether it's depression or anxiety, like I've felt those things and I don't know all that you're going through. But when I look around this room, I know that there are people who you've buried family members. You've lost children. You've been suffering through anxiety and depression for years. Guys, and that stuff stinks. That stuff is hard and painful, but even in those moments, you still get to experience God's goodness and grace in little glimpses and tastes. Like you get to experience the comfort that you receive from a friend or a family member. You have a church community maybe that comes alongside of you and speaks truth to you. You've maybe felt the Holy Spirit just comforting you when you didn't have any words to pray. You felt the Holy Spirit just praying for you on your behalf. And those are glimpses of God's favor and grace, even when you're going through extreme pain. But the second death, second death doesn't have any of that. Like for a moment, think through the worst thing you've ever experienced. The deepest pain you've ever felt. Now I want you to imagine going through that without an ounce of God's grace. Without an ounce of his comfort. Without an ounce of of his love be manifested to you. 
It's unbearable to think about that. But what scripture says is that's the second death. You think the pain you go through now is bad? Imagine that. And not just for a moment, but for eternity. Because that's what's at stake. That's what's at stake when we talk about judgment. That if you're on the wrong side of judgment, your body doesn't just die. You have eternity separated from the goodness and grace of God. And that seems really harsh. Like you might read that and you're like, man, that sounds really harsh. Like would God actually do that? How could God be good and still send people to that sort of place? The answer is yes, God is still good. In fact, this is one of the things that makes him good. Because God is a holy God, a perfect God. And if he were to just let sin and sinful people into heaven, what would make heaven any different than this place now? What makes heaven heaven is that we get God unstained by sin, that sin is no longer present. We get to enjoy God the way we were created to enjoy him. And the only way that can happen is if God shows his justice towards sin. That's the only way that can happen. So God isn't evil. He isn't mean. He isn't harsh for doing this. He is good. He is right. And he is just. And guys, you have to remember that this is written to a Christian group that was being persecuted severely. And so when they're reading this, they're reading like, you're telling me God's going to deal with all this? That all this sin, all this persecution, all of this is going to get punished And there's an eternity with God without all of this. Sign me up. Like this would have been good news for them. And some of us, we need to reframe our perspective. And we need to see judgment and hell not as a bad thing and making God a bad God, but as a good thing, making God a good and holy and just God. Because that's who he is. So we see that God is a judge and he's going to judge sin. All sin in creation and all sin in us. And there's a pretty harsh outcome for those who end up on the wrong side. We'll get to some good news in a little bit, but keep bearing with me here. How does this judgment take place then? Like, on what evidence are we judged by? Like, if you're in a courtroom, right? Like, there's evidence to say which way is the judge going to rule? So what's the evidence at stake here? What's the evidence at play here? That's where the books come in. And we see two different sets of books, right? We see the one set of books, and then we see the book of life. And so first, let's talk about what uh, this passage talks about is just the books. We see that the books are going to be opened. And in verse uh, 12, it says um, that these books are going to be opened, and they're going to be judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. So we see that these books contain God's record of everything that has ever happened on earth by every single person. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds kind of terrifying. (laughs) You're telling me that God has seen every little thing that I have done, thought, or said. Like, even when I knocked that plant over and I tried to pick up all the dirt so my wife couldn't see it, God saw that? Like, that's what happened? These books contain everything. 
everything that has been said or done. The lie that you told, that you maybe, maybe your friends or family don't know about it, God knows the truth there. Maybe the things you're looking at on the internet might be in a private browser. They're not private to God. He sees it. The anger that you feel that you stuff down really deep so it, no one can tell that you're actually a really angry person inside. God knows. He knows your anger. The way that you belittle coworkers, whether it's in your mind or to other people, God has record of that. Guys, there, these books that are going to be opened have a record of every single thing Every prideful moment, every sinful worry, every time you overate, every time you tried to make yourself seem better than you are, these books contain it all. And if we're judged by what's in these books, the answer is pretty clear what we get. We see it in scripture. There's so many places we could go. I just want to show you two quick verses. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. And then just a chapter earlier in Romans 5, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death spread through sin, and so and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sin. Because what is written in these books, what is recorded in these books, this is what is the evidence that leads to death. This is what leads to the second death separated from God's goodness. Separate from his kindness. According to what's written in these books, every single one of us deserve death. We deserve that separation from God. And there's no amount of good that we can do to negate the wrong that we have committed. If this book, if these books that are opened are our evidence, for our judgment, then we are in some serious trouble. And there's good news coming in just a moment, but I want you to sit in that for a minute. Because I think too often, we try and get past the bad news really quickly so we can get to the good news. But I want you just for a moment to start thinking through, it's like, man, according to what I have done, I deserve death. And not a physical death. I deserve a second death. Because I have offended a holy God. Gone against what he has designed, what he has desired. Because there is judgment coming for sin. And sin will be accounted for. Your sin will be accounted for. You guys ready for the good news yet? Yeah? Yeah? The good news is that there's another book. Verse 15, it says, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The book of life is also referred to as the Lamb's book of life in other parts of Revelation. So if someone's name is not found written in the book of life, he is thrown into the lake of fire, which means that the opposite is true. That if your name is written in the book of life, you're not thrown into the lake of fire. You're not separated from God for eternity. 
you don't suffer a second death. So the good news is that there is a second book that if your name is in that book, then what's in the first book gets overshadowed completely by what's in the Lamb's book of life. And so how do we get our name in that book? How is our name, how does our name get written into the Lamb's book of life? I talk to a lot of teenagers as part of my job. I talk to a lot of teenagers and kids and parents and families. And sometimes as they're struggling through that question, it's like, how do I know I'm going to heaven? How do I know my, and essentially what they're asking is, how do I know my name is in the book of life? And I'll start asking them, like, well, why do, you, why do you think? And a lot of their answers come down to, oh, I'm a good person. I try and do really good things. I, maybe I even go to church every once in a while. Maybe I even give and serve. Wow. I'm really good. I might not be perfect, but I'm better at least than these guys over here. So it's like, man, I know I'm not perfect, but I think based on the good things that I've done, that is enough to get my name into the book of life. And they think that there's some kind of scale, there's some kind of threshold that if they just do enough good, that they can overshadow the bad things that are written in, the book, in these other books and get their name into the book of life. And I'm just, this morning, if that is what you are counting on to get your name into the Lamb's book of life, you might want to count on that you're not getting through judgment. Because that's not how you do it. You can't write your name into the book of life. You can't do enough to get your name into the book of life because it's not your book. You don't own it. You're not allowed to write in it. It's the lamb's book, the lamb who was slain. Your church attendance doesn't get your name into the book of life. Your good deeds don't get your name into the book of life. Your attitude doesn't get your name into the book of life. Nothing that you can do can get your name into the lamb's book of life. There's only one way to get your name into it. And it's by the Father writing your name in that book. We see earlier in chapter 13 that those who are written in the book of life are written before the foundation of the world. Now tell me, how could you do anything good before the foundation of the world to earn your spot in that book? Absolutely nothing. The only way you can get into the Lamb's book of life is to be covered by faith in the blood of the lamb. You have to be covered by the lamb's blood to get into his book. That's where your faith has to be, not in yourself, not in your own works, but in the blood of Jesus Christ. So church, is that where your faith is? Is that how you're trying to get to heaven? Is that how you're trying to get your name into the book of life? Not by anything you've done, but by your faith in Jesus, by your faith in his work and not your own, by his blood that was shed on the cross so that you could be with him for eternity. Because that's the only way your name is getting into the book of life. And if your name is in the book of life, you don't have to fear judgment. Like, that's the other beautiful thing. Not only do we not go get thrown into the lake of fire, we don't have to fear judgment because we know what's coming next. We don't have to fear judgment or the second death because Jesus has already died for us. 
Our second death has already been paid for by the blood of Jesus on the cross. Guys, and that is good news. That is good news for us that us sinners, completely separated from God by our sin, have the opportunity to be brought close and brought into the family of God by the blood of Jesus. And we don't have to fear the judgment. We don't have to fear the second death because Jesus has already done it. Uh, Martin Luther said this. He said, born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. Saying if you've only been born once, if you've only been born into this world physically, you're going to die twice. You're going to have a physical death and then you're going to have a second death. But if you've been born twice, if you've been born physically into this world, but then you've also been born into the family of God by the blood of Jesus, you don't face that second death anymore. The only death you have to worry about is this physical one. And that just means that you're one step closer to being with Jesus. Guys, judgment is real. Judgment will happen. And you can't avoid judgment, but you can get through it. And you can get through it by faith in Jesus. You could say it like this, that you can avoid the second death by faith in the one who defeated death. You can avoid the second death by faith in the one who defeated death. That's the only way you're getting through judgment. That's the only way you're avoiding the second death. Not by anything you can do, but by having your name written in the Lamb's book of life, which overshadows everything else that has been written. And church, if your name is written in the book of life, I think it should do something in us. Like it should produce in you this overwhelming joy and gratitude for the person and work of Jesus. So thankful for what he has done in your life. So thankful that what he has done in replacing your second death with his life. And so if your name is in the book of life, if you've had your sins forgiven, if you have your faith in Jesus, and you're struggling with gratitude towards Jesus, or struggling with joy in Jesus, I want you to consider one of two things. One, maybe you don't have a genuine faith in him. Maybe you don't really know him. Or maybe you've just forgotten. And this is the second thing. Maybe you've just forgotten what he did so that your name could be in the book of life. And so if it's the first one, if you don't really know Jesus this morning, if your ticket into heaven in your eyes is just trying to be a good person, just trying to break even on the scale of right and wrong. Man, I want, I want to plead with you to repent. Turn away from trying to earn your way into the kingdom of God because the only place you're earning is hell. Turn away. Behold Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold him. Treasure him, love him, place your faith in him. Maybe that's where your faith is. But you're like, man, I don't have joy right now. I'm struggling to be thankful to, for Jesus. Now, I just want you to take a moment and remember. And maybe throughout this week, continually remind yourself of what Jesus accomplished for you. That his death means that you don't have a second one. 
that his victory over the grave means that you can have life. And that you're going to have life with God the Father in heaven forever. And I promise you, if you spend time remembering that, you will be the most thankful person at home, at your work, at your school. You'll just be overflowing with joy and gratitude for Jesus. And there's one more thing I think happens as we are overflowing with this joy and gratitude. Is that we get compelled to tell others. One of the marks of being overflowing with joy and gratitude for the work of Jesus is, are you sharing that work of Jesus with others? Are you sharing what he has done? Are you sharing that he has provided a way out of the second death? Are you sharing that there's a way that people can have their name in the book of life? Because if we're really grateful for that, we're going to tell people about it. Like, let's make it a little more personal. If your parents are still on this earth, they are going to die someday, and they will face judgment. Have you told them that their name can be in the book of life? That Jesus made a way for that to be possible? Your kids are going to die and face judgment. Have you spent time telling them about the Jesus who makes it possible for their name to be in the book of life? Your friends, your neighbors, your family, your golfing buddies, they are going to die and face judgment. Have you told them that Jesus died so they don't have to face a second death? so that they can face the judgment without fear. He died so that their name could be written in the book of life. Have you shared that with them? Church, I want us to be a people so overflowing with thankfulness and joy for what Jesus has done to bring us to the Father and save us from the second death in hell. That it just overflows out of us in gratitude and sharing the gospel with those around us. So as we get ready to take communion, I want you guys to do two things. First, if you're a Christian, remember communion is only for those who are part of the family of God. If you're a Christian, as you're getting ready to take communion, I want you to remember. I want you to remember what Jesus has done. I want you to start building up that joy, start overflowing that joy by remembering what Jesus has done for you. That he died and rose so that you could have freedom from sin, not just on this earth, but in eternity. Remember that. Grow in your joy. Grow in your gratefulness by remembering what he has done. And then I want you to consider. Consider who in your life needs you to show them who Jesus is. Needs you to tell them who he is and what he has done. That there is a way that they don't need to Be scared of the second death because Jesus has already paid it. And as you consider and as you remember, and then as you take communion, when you're done, I want you to stand and sing because if you're a Christian, you have been bought by the blood of Jesus. This is the closest to hell you're ever getting. And that gives us reason to rejoice. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Even a hard text that remind us that judgment is real and hell is real and that sin comes at a cost. That even in these texts that we are reminded and so clearly see the gospel. 
that even though our sins separate us from you, you sent Jesus to bring us back to you. So may we be a people who are constantly remembering the work of Jesus and thankful for that work. And may it stir joy in our hearts that then goes and leads us to share with others. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.